Hello there. This is the Woman Inspired Podcast. I am your hostess, Karen. You, what, do, what do people call it now? A host, a DJ, um, I don't know, a speaker, a digital concierge. I have no idea. But I'd love for you to take a minute when you're done listening to this episode to check out my website. It's womaninspired.com and that's been my website for over 23 years. It's yours to peruse through just whenever you have time. I would appreciate it. It includes links to my podcasts, info on my books, events, social media links, all that good stuff. And that way, if you know someone who's interested in scheduling a female speaker who's a little wacky, that would be me. Uh, but I have a really great reputation. <laughs> all the information's there on how to do that. All right. So today we're talking about being offended. And so let me kick off with a couple of pod quotes. Be not hasty in your spirit to be offended, for resentment abides in the bosom of fools. That's from Ecclesiastes 7, 9. And this is a quote from John MacArthur. Don't ever water down the gospel. If the truth offends, let it offend. Some people have been living their whole lives in offense to God. Let them be offended for a little while. You know, it's kind of like I can hear someone saying, well, let them be offended for a little while. Isn't God tired of being offended? <laughs> I can kind of hear that in my head. All right, so my question to you is, does the word of God offend you? Do you avoid it? Because maybe there are parts of it you think you don't agree with or maybe you don't understand. Do you actually know what it means? I mean, not all of it because obviously none of us, at least I don't think any of us in the world knows the Bible inside and out exactly how God intended it without a single doubt of what the meaning is. Well, I want to backtrack on that because there are some people who think they know it inside out and know exactly what all the meaning is and come to find out they, they weren't always right. But if there is someone like that, you know, I would love to avoid them uh, because none of us is perfect because as far as I know most people have to study the Bible their entire lives including famous pastors and theologians like Billy Graham and Charles Spurgeon Perry Stone C.S. Lewis the list goes on and on which is a great thing actually because when we have to study it to understand it more and more then it's more frequently on our minds and in our face. No matter how many times we set it down to walk away from it, whether it's on a, a nightstand or a shelf in a pew or an app on your phone, it's there for you. It's the Bible. It's never changing, even though we change. And so as time goes on, we read our Bible and we pick up then the different parts of it uh, hit us in a different way than we they ever have before. As we mature, certain pieces of it mean more to us than it used to and maybe on a different level in a different way than ever before not that the meaning has ever changed or suddenly become different but that the revelation we get from it and the way we can apply it to our lives at different stages of our lives is completely different that's what's so amazing about continually reading and studying the bible your entire life there's no other book like it sometimes we see the bible differently and realize some of the deeper meaning to it or the nuances in it because we are more mature. Sometimes we see the Bible differently after having gone through difficult times. And sometimes we become thirsty and hungry in a way we haven't been before. And that leads us to read the word more. 
and doing so makes a difference in our lives. So having it in our faces frequently is so important. I'm wondering though, if, if you ever find yourself kind of rejecting the Bible because you don't agree with some of it, you know, maybe some of the parts that dumbfound you or, or make you think God isn't fair or that he isn't kind or loving enough. Sometimes what it says in the Bible is difficult to understand and, and sometimes it's difficult to swallow, I gotta say. And I think it's a very human thing to just want it watered down. You know, we want a little sugar with our medicine. It helps us swallow it easier. <laughs> Give me that light version, low calorie part of the spiritual drink instead of the heavy stuff, the serious stuff. Or, you know, the Reader's Digest conversion, conversion, the Reader's Digest condensed version of the gospel. It's easier to comprehend and far easier to abide by or be obedient to than the full Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, that's a lot. I've been there before, opening up the Bible and thinking, wow, whoa, this is amazing. This is great. And then I run across a verse or a chapter and I think, what? Are you serious? I mean, especially when I was a new Christian, I thought I was going to open the Bible and read something like a beautiful fairy tale, a cozy bedtime story with a sweet beginning of creation, followed up by the real life story of a hero who died for us and was resurrected and will come back and, and get us one day. An amazing real life story, like what we see in the children's Bible or in animated features at Christmas time. But the reality is, well, I was going to say that the reality is the word of God is not for the weak of heart, but that's true. The word of God is for everyone, literally everyone. Some will reject it though, and others won't, but almost everyone will read it and at some point realize it's not a fairy tale. It's no small thing. It's no story of superheroes and unicorns and fuzzy bears skipping through the forest, but how someone else represents it to you can also turn you off and make you reject it, especially when it's brought out with human jaded perspective, which can be way off the mark and doesn't really always convey the true meaning of the word. But there are many messages, blogs, sermons, books, podcasts, movies, documentaries that are accurate and beautiful, interpreted, interpreted correctly. Sadly, the ones that are not <laughs> are the ones that get the most attention. The churches that condemn people, though it's not their job to do so. The pastors who claim some people are not forgivable, but others are, depending on the nature of their sin. And yes, there are pastors out there who preach like that. So it's our job as individual Christians to, to weed through the junk and get to the heart of what the word truly says and means. It just is. And if, if you've listened to the last few podcasts, you can hear almost some anxiousness and some seriousness and importance um, to this matter in my voice because I'm seeing so many falsehoods out there and hearing so many ways that people are twisting the word of God. We have to know it for ourselves. We can embrace this job or reject it. But it's part of our job as Christians. And I can tell you from personal experience, embracing the word and knowing it is so much better, more fulfilling, more challenging, more rewarding and vital than anything else there is. Life is so much better with the word inside you than without it.
And the word of God is, is for sure a full meal to digest. If you're thinking about it that way, it's the full 10 course, sit down, get ready because you won't be backing away from the table anytime soon. Kind of a meal. It's the bring a bib and some antacids kind of a meal that, that you have to choose to take in. It's not a low calorie condensed to a thin reader's digest format for your reading pleasure kind of a book because it just doesn't do it justice if you take it in that way and when someone waters it down or leaves parts out it changes the meaning and leaves the core truth of the word of God out of it part of the problem in today's church that I can see um, in some of the denominations is that some leadership and pastors and elders and even some seminaries and Bible colleges right now are watering it down or picking and choosing which parts they think are valid for today's culture and which aren't and some churches are only focusing on the end times of revelation and prophecy because they believe the Lord will return very, very soon. And the fact is, whether or not he returns tomorrow or 10 years from tomorrow, it makes no difference because our faith, our responsibilities, our life, how we live and walk out this journey should be no different if he's coming back tomorrow or 10 years from tomorrow. But still, some churches are teaching the business of church instead of the word of God. And the do whatever it takes to get butts in the seats philosophy of running a church rather than just sharing the word of God and the love of Jesus. When in reality, the only thing that will bring people in and sustain and grow a church and reach people is by sharing the truth in the word and the amazing love that comes from Jesus Christ. Sharing his love from person to person through fellowship and congregating, praying and worshiping together and serving together. That's where it's at. That's what works. I saw it for myself, even when I was a youth pastor. And I've talked about this before, so pardon me if you've heard this before, but I'm going to reiterate it. I went into my position so many years ago, having worked with children, but not preteens and teens. You know, I was just a fresh green youth pastor and inexperienced for the most part. I had that experience as a children's pastor and, you know, in volunteering with the youth, but not as a full-time youth pastor. Well, where God led me was to a church that once had a thriving youth group, but it had fizzled out and they only had four youth left in their youth group. That was it. In the middle of a humongous neighborhood that was teeming with preteens and teens. And this church of 350 regular attendees every single week only had four of their youth show up to Sunday school and youth group. That was it unfortunately that's not that uncommon you can you can go to a church that has a thousand people and and you know of the or a thousand families and of those thousand families you may have 20 who have regular youth group attenders that's it um you know but the only thing i knew back then was to just teach give them the word of god show them who jesus was and try to do it on a level they could understand on a personal level level and spoken in a language they would get so that's what I did. Nothing special, nothing over the top, nothing amazing. I was just straight with them. I was honest, sometimes in their face, quirky, silly, of course, <laughs> and I was available. And what happened was amazing. It was beautiful, actually. The youth group grew in less than four months to 42 in attendance regularly on Wednesday nights and averaged about 27 youth on Sunday mornings 
every single Sunday morning for Sunday school. And for the first time in years, they had youth coming and all sitting together in the pews on Sunday mornings during the church service. Sometimes I felt bad that we didn't have video games and big lock-ins and camping trips and major outings because honestly, we didn't have the funding for all that, but we did have fun events and we served the church. One time we had a meal for senior citizens and the youth did all the cooking, all the serving. And we ended up doing it as a fundraiser. They gave donations, not for the food, but tips for the service. It was fantastic. The youth got to know the senior citizens and vice versa. It was a really wonderful time. And a lot of these youth were from divided families, broken families, rough neighborhoods, and they didn't have grandparents in their lives. So it really made a connection and a bond in our church that they'd never seen before. That idea was totally from the Holy Spirit because it wasn't mine. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have the full funds to do a lot of things, but at, after that point, the senior citizens would support almost anything that the youth wanted to do. We had fun events and crazy games and they'd help supply supplies for all those things. And I made up fun things to do that were simple. And then we had a traditional youth missions week once a year. We didn't go anywhere except in our own little town the first few years. We did missions work around our town for people and cleaned up yards and things like that. And then we'd have a fun day at the end of the week. But most of our time was spent in studying the Bible, sharing the gospel, and just addressing everyday life and everyday situations on a weekly basis. And most of the people who volunteered with the youth loved on them, talked to them and didn't put up with their crap either. The group grew to this point, though, on Sunday school mornings, we'd start drawing more people than just youth. I had adults who wanted to come every single week to the youth group. It was kind of crazy. They wanted to come to uh, hear what we were doing and see what we were doing in the youth group. <laughs> Uh, it, it's just the way that it was because they were witnessing a group of students who had become hungry for that full meal, that high calorie 10 course spiritual meal that they knew was not going to be reduced or watered down. And this was at a time when some of the adult Sunday school classes were being fed watered down empty lessons. They were hungry too. And I remember one of the youth deciding at one point that he was going to go to church with a friend of his from school instead of to our youth group for a few weeks. So he did. And a few weeks later, he came back to our youth group in Sunday school and he said, you know, it was fun there. One Wednesday night, we had the whole church to ourselves and they got this laser tag set up. We turned the lights off and, and played laser tag in the church. It was a blast. Some of us even hid in the baptistry. That kind of shocked me, but they did. And another Wednesday night, the youth pastor, he said, took us all to a basketball game and out for pizza. And on Sunday mornings, they played video games through Sunday school time on a big screen TV they had in their youth room. And then he said, but you know, Pastor Karen, I left there thinking, what did that have to do with Jesus? What what did that have to do with the Bible? He said they prayed together, but that was about it. And then he said, Pastor Karen, I can do all those things every day at home or at school. I want to come here where someone's talking to me like I'm smart enough to understand what's going on and isn't going to try to bribe me to come to church all the time. I'm not dumb. 
And I, I need to hear what's going on. I want to know the truth. I want someone who listens to me and is straight with me. Like I think Jesus would be straight with me if he were standing in front of my face. And that is what sharing the word of God with other people does. People you see every day at work, in your family, and at home. Because they can get the day in and day out fun stuff, watered down stuff, wherever, anywhere. Anywhere, everywhere. But what they need from you and from me is the truth of of who God is and what it says in his words. And they get that not just through what we say and what what we show them, but in what we do and how we treat them. Sharing God's word is so important. That doesn't mean you have to go around with a Bible in your hand, smacking people in the head with it or quoting scripture all the time. Like when someone says, wow, I'm thirsty. And you then suddenly feel the need to say, Jesus is the living water. That's not what I mean. You know, if they say they're feeling weak and tired and you feel the need to say Isaiah 41 10 says God will strengthen you. Isaiah verse 41 also says the weak shall grow weary, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. (laughs) You don't have to do that. When someone says they're going to go fishing at the river, you don't have to pull up scriptures about John the Baptist being baptized. That's not what I'm talking about. Just living out the word of God knowing it well enough that you can share it with someone being who he called you to be and then sharing that that part of yourself with the people he leads you to the people he puts in your life to share with that's what the world needs we need it done boldly truthfully and accurately none of us needs a watered down gospel with a side of laser tag and pizza to understand it God made us intelligent enough to understand what he gave to us in the word of God. And he wouldn't have given it to us, most of us, on an intellectual level if he didn't, we couldn't understand it. He, he gave it to us knowing we would understand it. And for those who in this world can't understand it intellectually, they can still understand it on a spiritual level. They just have to be shown it. Sadly, like the other church, uh, the youth member visited the one that I was saying he went and they played laser tag in the baptistry and all that kind of stuff. Some churches like that just want to be there for socialization and not for sharing truth. Now, don't get me wrong. That over the top fun fellowship and creating bonds and relationships is extremely important and it's wonderful. But if that's all you have, then that's all you have. If there is no foundation of Jesus, the rock for them to stand on, then why build the house? Because it will eventually fall. As soon as a storm or an earthquake comes, if you don't have that solid foundation, difficult times will hit and the congregation is attacked and the church will divide. The youth group will fall apart. It will split and eventually fall and fail. Why build a church on sinking sand instead of on the rock? I've seen church leadership that wants their numbers up. So they do whatever they can to bring people in the door. So they feed them with watered down condensed versions of the Bible. It's it's all feel good all the time. No real depth to it. No meat on the bone. They fill the agenda with family fun, door prizes, raffles, fun fest, and casual worship. They feel like they have to entertain instead of educate. And if they, they do that, the people will stay. And eventually, after they draw them in long enough, they'll get their hooks into them and basically force feed them the gospel at, at some point. You know, they'll shove it down their throats. But you know what? You can, you can love on people 
entertain people, be real to them and feed them the word of God at the same time. It's not all or nothing. It's not one than the other. They, these churches a lot of times fear that if the person leaves at any point or if the person stops attending, then they won't ever get the chance to minister to them. So they try to hook them in with things that they think they'll love more than the gospel to begin with. I understand there's a basis for good behind it, a good intention, but oftentimes it fails. I think many of these churches have a true desire to help people in any way they can, but are they helping them if they're not telling them the truth that's in God's word? If they're not bringing them in through the love of Jesus Christ and through free pizza and prizes instead, are they helping them quench their thirst and hunger if they're actually watering down the word instead of letting the word water and feed them? It does say in the Bible that Jesus is the living water. The real way to quench someone's thirst is to give them the living water, not Coke and soda and pizzas. I am all for Coke and soda and pizzas, as long as they're gluten-free. And I'm all for having fun. But that can't be all that the church feeds people, no matter what their age is. It can't be all people being fed junk, because otherwise they will become spiritually malnourished and die. We cannot live on Coke and pizzas for fear of offending people, worrying that they will be so offended by the truth in God's word that they won't come back. The other day I was looking up a quote I'd heard to make sure I attributed it to the correct person, and I came across an article written in 2020 on the news site elizabethton.com, and as I read it, I knew I needed to share a small snippet of it with you. It says, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not easily provoked or offended. So it's unloving to be easily offended. Respected prophecy expert Perry Stone said, we are now seeing the end times signs Jesus warned about in Matthew 24 with the increase in earthquakes, etc. Jesus included another often overlooked warning, indicating that a spirit of offense of offense would be everywhere coinciding with the timing of the gospel being preached around the world, which without doubt is this present time. Matthew twenty four ten and 12 says, And many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And because evil shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Perry Stone said in his 40 years of ministry and studying Bible prophecy, he never observed such an unleashing of a spirit of offense as there is in today's culture. And of course, we can go to the extreme opposite end of the spectrum as well. You know, here Perry Stone is talking about how people are so easily offended, and these are signs of the times. That is correct. But pastors are afraid now, some of them, not to throw down sermons of hellfire and brimstone and only preach revelations. They try to convict or frighten people into keeping their church attendance up, as if not being in a church pew is a spiritual demise. They do it. If you haven't heard a preacher do it, be thankful. But some do. Why? The same reason that some churches water things down. Because they fear that if the person leaves or if the person stops attending, then they won't ever have the chance to minister to them or they won't be able to help them again. They do it out of fear. Again, I think oftentimes the intentions are good. And many of these churches have a true desire to help people in any way they can. But are they helping them if all they're doing is frightening them and telling them if they don't come back and they don't come back, 
that they're going to be doomed to hell. They need to bring a word that is the full truthful word of God, not just portions of it that are jaded so they can manipulate them into keeping their attendance up and their tithing coming in. Yeah, that's, that's behind some churches as well. Are they helping them to quench their thirst and hunger if they're actually only feeding them one portion of the word, the part that helps them keep them in the pew? I believe that most people want the truth in the word, not a manipulative, frightening version of it, nor a constant feel-good fake message delivered. There is something straight smack in the middle, and it's called truth. When you feel pressed by the world to agree with this doctrine and that political agenda or this cultural craze and that moral shift or this jaded point of view or that one, do you then modify the word that you already know to be truth so you can appease other people and not offend them, so you can fit in and not be shunned, so you feel as if you won't be attacked? We don't have to go walking around with a billboard on our shoulders and banners in our hands professing the Lord to reach people for the Lord. Although if a whole bunch of us did that, meaning like millions of us did it all at the same time, a great message might get out. But the Bible doesn't say we have to do that. It just says that we have to be Jesus to the world. We have to step aside and allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us so other people can see Jesus in us, in our words, our actions, and our deeds. We have to go and make disciples. We have to spread the good news around the world. So many people are not doing that. They're spreading a portion of the word that fits their agenda and sometimes taking it out of context, all in an effort not to offend someone or to purposely offend them and get attention for it. Whoa, yeah, I said it. Do you all remember when the shooting at Columbine High School happened in Colorado? It was years ago. I remember it. Many of us do. There are big events like that that many of us never forget, especially something that has never happened or hasn't happened in a long time, and it's horrific. And that was the case when, when this Columbine shooting happened. We remember right where we were and what we were doing when we heard the news about it. It was, it's no different with me. I remember what I was doing and where I was at the time. And I remember one story that came out of that horrific criminal evil act. The story is about the shooter going into a classroom and telling people that if they believed in God, he wanted them to stand up. There was one girl who stood up. Her name was Cassie Bernal. And he wanted her to basically renounce Jesus Christ and say that she didn't believe in God. And Cassie said no. And he shot and killed her on the spot. I know that her family and her church were able to use her act of obedience that, unbeknownst to her at the time, turned into a sacrificial act just to help reach other people and be a witness about standing up for what you believe in. I wonder how many of us today would be as brave as she is, who would stand up and say we believe in Jesus. No hype, no bull, not for attention, not for money or tithe, not for clicks and likes, just because we do. How many of us would pretend not to know what we know about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, all for saving our lives, or for saving face, or for the purpose of not offending anyone else, or, or perhaps just so we could be the ones on the sidelines saying we believe, all the while videotaping what's really going on, so we can load it to social media and look good. I think sometimes what we in the body of Christ miss is the fact that while we don't want to go around purposely offending anyone, what we should want far more than that is not worrying about how someone else might be offended, but be more concerned about their spiritual well-being, their mental health, 
about the lies they believe, the lies they tell, the bad choices they're making about their eternal life, you know, about them being lost, about them dying rather than having that eternal life and having a, a love like they've never had before in their lives. But instead, there are still so many people more concerned about offending someone than we are about loving them like Jesus would love them. We're not going to be perfect. We're not perfect beings. Some people have a hard time accepting that. You, you may fling out a cuss word here and there. You make it frustrated and mad or say something off key or make a mistake. But that doesn't mean you don't love Jesus and you can't share Jesus with other people. We need to be far less concerned with offending the world at large or being canceled by someone than we are about sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what the Word of God has to say. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, just like Jesus Christ is. The older I get, the more mature I get, the more I understand the truth and the essence in it. Not just the essence of the Word of God, but the truth of the Word and why so much of it is stated the way that it is. And the more I understand it, and the more I work to study it, the more I want my life to match it, to walk in agreement with it. It makes me want to all the more be able to relay it to other people truthfully too, 100% authentically, transparently, no holds barred, say, hey, here's the word of God. Look at it. Do I also share stories and testimony? Yes, I do. Do I make people laugh? Yes, I do. You know, Jesus spoke in parables. He gave illustrations and stories to help make his point. And that's what I believe good communicators do. That's how I try to be, is, a, is act like a good communicator. I try to communicate how the word of God has shaped and molded me and how I work hard to live it out and not run from it. Not pretend like it doesn't say what it says. Because truthfully, I haven't always lived up to what it says I should, and I fail every day in some way or another, just like you do, just like we all do. But that doesn't mean I don't have the desire to walk the walk better and to talk the talk better. And in order to do so, I have to embrace it. I have to know it and understand it and live it and breathe it and not give one whip whether or not it offends someone else if I agree or disagree with them or if me living the way I live and the way I know God is calling me to live offends them either. Did you know that heaven and earth will one day disappear? A new earth will be formed. But even then, this heaven and this earth that you see disappearing, yes, it's going to go. But the word of God, it lasts forever. Think about that. The word of God will last forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Psalm 119.89 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Nothing else that you share with someone or anything else that you do is going to last forever or make an eternal impact like the word of God does. Sharing it with someone else could make that in eternal impact for them. Did you know that the last words of Jesus Christ before he left the earth and ascended into heaven were this? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In order to do that, we must be able to share the word of God. 
nothing else that you read or that you study or that you put your time and effort and energy into is going to last forever. Not a building project, no job, no matter how high you reach on the corporate ladder, no title or degree that you get in higher education is going to mean anything at all when it comes to heaven and eternity. None of it. Sorry to tell you. Spoiling your ideas, maybe. No fancy car. No bling bling wardrobe. No amount of plastic surgery can follow you through eternity. Doesn't matter how thin you are, how large you make your breasts, and how many followers you have on social media. None of it is going to follow you into eternity. The books I've read, the books I've written, the jokes I've told, the fun, wonderful traveling excursions I've been on, the games I've won, the money I've earned, none of it will go with me through eternity. Yes, I will have memories. And yes, some of these things are a blessing. And we should be grateful and thankful we're in them now and living our lives while we're alive. Not just surviving, but thriving. And we can do that because we belong to the Lord. But still remembering that the word of God will last forever. But you know what? It is now as well. His word is here right now. We can't ignore it. It's not just some future thing we're supposed to connect to. So I guess my podcast episode this week is really a little bit about how you apply the word and mostly about how you see the word of God. Is it a rule book to you or is it the true account of Jesus Christ? Is it merely a history book to you or is it the true account of history and the prophetic vision and prophecy that proclaimed that Jesus Christ would come and the historical true facts showing that he did and that he died and that he was resurrected and that he ascended? Is it a story that you gather around to tell your kids at Christmas time because it's fun and it feels like a tradition you should pass on? Or is it a true life telling of the past, the present, and our future that has yet to be? For me, it's the latter. For me, it isn't just some list of to-dos and list of do's and don'ts that I have for this life. It isn't just some amazing story like I would watch unfolding on TV and where there's an action hero and, and I'm you know, like in a Marvel movie, it's real. It's true. Is it something that you are happy not to understand? Because if you don't know, then you don't know. And if you don't know, well, then maybe you can't be held accountable for not knowing it, right? Well, wrong. Because if you have ever, ever been given the opportunity to know, and you choose not to know, then you have just made a decision, a decision that you can be held accountable for to reject the knowledge of the word of God. You see, the word of God was not just given to us as if it is some incomplete, fallible thing that everyone gets to argue over and wars are started over. Because in fact, side note here, what do you think wars are started over? <laughs> Have you ever thought about it? Why are there wars? I mean, war upon war upon war over the Jewish people and Jesus Christ. Because people know they try to fight against what they do not like. They try to fight against what they do not want to submit to. They try to fight against what they believe will take away their power and their land and their birthright. They fight against what they believe is stronger than they are in the hopes that they will eventually win out. But the reality is they will not win out. They have never won out. Christianity is still here. Judaism is still here. And if you read the word of God, you'll understand that there's a reason why. Everything, every prophecy, every bit of the word of God is true. It has come true and it will continue to come true. That is not an accident. That is not a coincidence. That is truth. I wonder, 
today in this day and age when people are fighting in the streets and arguing on social media, protesting in town scores and bombing each other across the Middle East over what is the truth yet again over the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Word of God and whether they believe it or not. I wonder, where do you stand? I stand with Jesus. No matter who's fighting, no matter who started the war, I stand with Jesus. And in standing with Jesus, I stand for peace. There are innocent women, children, and men on each side of the current wars that is raging. Each side. And they are innocent. Many of them. There are horrific things that have happened and continue to be perpetuated on the Jewish people in the name of equity. I don't believe any person who calls themselves a true Christian is shocked at this. Anyone who calls himself a Jew, also not shocked. They're not shocked. I have spoken to no one who is shocked except those people who do not believe in the word of God at all. Those people are shocked. They have no idea what's coming either. When if they would just open the word of God, they would understand. And sad to say, they will continue most likely to be shocked when everything that is laid out in the book of Revelation continues to come true. So here's my challenge to all of you. If you have not studied Revelation, I, can t- I encourage you to do so. Revelation is part of the word of God. It's the very back of the Bible and it gives us insight into what's coming. And it reminds us to be prepared and to stand with Jesus. The word of God is strong and it stands for itself. It doesn't need me to champion it. It doesn't need to be watered down. It doesn't need to be propped up. It doesn't need to be delivered with hellfire brimstone and manipulation. It doesn't need me to say it's A, B, C, or D. It just is A, B, C, D, and everything from there to Z and beyond. And I hope that you will find that out for yourself by reading it for yourself and embracing it so that you will be unashamed, unabashed, unafraid, and not worry about who you might offend by doing so. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Woman Inspired Podcast. I hope you have a blessed one.